Imagine you work at a hospital and you're responsible for the health and well-being of thousands of patients each year. That's not such a stretch. Many of us listening to this podcast are in that situation. Now, you're in charge of the information systems at the hospital, and all the data is your responsibility, whether it's used for clinical purposes or for operations. And you're also responsible for maintaining the privacy and the security of that information. Well, now let's add a little pressure. Imagine that your hospital has been attacked by a hacktivist group with a political agenda. Finally, let's add yet a little more pressure. It's a children's hospital. What would you do? In this episode of Code Red, we hear from Dan Nigren, Senior Vice President and CIO at Boston Children's Hospital, and Dan shares his story with us of how Boston Children's handled and survived an attack by Anonymous. And that's coming up in just a moment. Detected. Code Red. Dr. Daniel Nigren is Senior VP and Chief Information Officer at Boston Children's Hospital. Dan, thank you for joining us today. Is it all right if I call you Dan? Please do. Thanks, Rod. In the spring of 2014, the hacker group Anonymous attacked Boston Children's Hospital. Um, and you were kind enough to do a presentation at our recent uh, annual conference in Orlando talking about this, but not everyone got a chance to uh, hear your presentation. Can you describe that attack, and, and what was your cybersecurity posture before and after? Sure thing. So uh, this was certainly a first for us. Um, there was a particular patient case that was in the news uh, in the uh, Boston, New England area, and actually even extended out nationally. Um, there was TV coverage, obviously online and uh, print media coverage. And so um, we gather that folks from Anonymous uh, got wind of this case, and they decided that they didn't like what they were reading about in the popular press, um, and that uh, they wanted to make us a point to the hospital that um, they disagreed with our stance on things regarding this patient and wanted to teach us a lesson. So uh, what started off as a few postings on Twitter and other uh, online um, sites with, uh, you know, posts that were that were attributed to anonymous uh, and saying that, uh, you know, they wanted us to um, adhere to a few sort of mandates that they laid out in terms of uh, disciplinary action for providers and so on. Um, and they also included some content in these postings that was meant probably to intimidate uh, both clinical staff as well as the presiding judge over uh, this this patient case. It was a child custody uh, case. And um, and what I mean by that is they posted, you know, home phone numbers, addresses, things like that. And uh, in addition, started to post some uh, technical information about the hospital's uh, external website, you know, IP addresses, things of that nature. So 
Um, at this point, we weren't sure what to make of this. We were not accustomed, obviously, as most organizations are not accustomed to having anonymous make threats against them. Um, so we thought, well, potentially this could be a hoax uh, and just someone trying to intimidate us. But um, we didn't take that stance at all, actually. We assumed that this was the real thing, and we wanted to make sure that we were fully prepared. So we convened the, the entire uh, hospital emergency management uh, system with obviously not just IT folks involved, but um, representation from essentially every department within the hospital. Um, and we tried to make plans for, you know, if this was uh, not an idle set of threats and if they did take uh, an aggressive stance against the hospital that we were prepared. So um, at that point, you know, days ticked by and nothing happened, and then weeks ticked by and nothing happened. And at the, at the um, three-week mark, we were starting to wonder, well, could this have been a hoax after all? We haven't seen any... Um, signs in our IT monitoring systems of, uh, of any, you know, bad things happening with respect to attacks. And so we thought we were out of the woods. But at that point, something did start to happen. And that's when we started to detect a distributed denial of service attack or DDoS attack on our um, external web uh, site started off at a relatively low clip, one that we were able to accommodate with our existing uh, defense systems that were in place. Uh, you asked what was our cybersecurity posture before the attack, and I would say that we were, we were well prepared as most organizations are, but um, probably not as uh, well prepared as we needed to be for what was coming next. And what happened next was um, basically a rapid escalation of their DDoS attack in terms of volume uh, to one in which we were no longer able to accommodate the, the massive uh, influx of network traffic that that brought with it. And so we needed to engage a third-party uh, vendor to assist us in filtering that traffic off and getting our, um, our Internet access uh, basically available again. And at that, um, point, at that point, what kind of traffic were you getting hit with? It was close to about uh, 30 gigabits per second of network traffic. It was uh, roughly 30, uh, off the top of my head, I think it was about 30 times what we would normally see uh, in terms of network traffic at uh, on a typical day. So it was significantly above what our infrastructure was able to accommodate. Um, at that point, you know, if you did try and come to our uh, to our external website or any website on our network, and furthermore, if you were within our network trying to go outbound, there was a period of time where we could no longer send traffic in either direction. Um, and that was thankfully transient because we, we were able to engage our third party relatively quickly. So it was only a matter of a few hours. But um, still, had we not had that, uh, that benefit of being able to, uh, to filter off the nefarious traffic, we would have been in trouble. Um, if that was the only uh, thing that they attacked us with, we would have been happy, but unfortunately it was not. Um, they also were attacking um, basically every open port on our network firewall that they could find, um, basically looking for ways to penetrate inside our firewall to, to you know, basically get inside our network. And so as a proactive step, we took a pretty dramatic um, move, which was to essentially shut down 
every one of our websites or FTP sites or, or any uh, open network port in order to not give them any means to enter. And that obviously had big uh, operational impact. So this is uh, provider portals, patient portals, um, research sites, you know, where, with collaborations all across the world for research purposes, and, um, and uh, even things like fundraising sites. We were in the middle of a, of a walkathon event that was happening in a few weeks at the hospital, which, um, which raises significant amounts of, of philanthropic dollars for our organization. We shut that site down as well. Um, then on top of that, uh, we started to detect a massive influx of malware-laden email as well, significantly uh, above normal thresholds that we would typically see. And so uh, we obviously have filtering mechanisms in place to to take that stuff, you know, out of people's inboxes before it even gets there. But we were very concerned simply because of the volume that all that needed to happen was one set of these messages making it through to our end users and then an unsuspecting end user clicking a bad link or attachment and they would have had their way again inside of our network. So again, trying to act very proactively, we essentially shut down our entire email system uh, to our end users for a period of about 24 hours until we could make absolutely sure that all of that malware had been filtered off by our defenses and that none of it ended up in uh, in people's inboxes. Um, so again, uh, a move that obviously had significant operational impact for us, but one that we felt um, was necessary in order to keep uh, to keep us safe. Well, how would you describe the the mood in the IT and security departments while all this was going on? This is obviously an unusual level of uh, attempted infiltration. How, how what what was the tenor of the of the room? It was it was certainly tense, and it was not limited to our IT staff. As I mentioned, we had really engaged every department throughout the organization. This was an emergency, just like a weather emergency, or in the year prior when we had the the Boston Marathon bombing. You know, those all of those same um, uh, activations were put in place. So the mood was certainly tense, and and mostly because we didn't know what was coming next. Um, obviously, we were concerned about um, HIPAA breaches. You know, uh, clearly they wanted to get inside of our network, and um, and in fact, many of their Twitter postings outlined the fact that they were talking about HIPAA breach and so on. So clearly, we did not want that to occur. But I'd say more importantly, we were we were concerned about operational impact of all of these things. You know, our primary purpose is to take care of patients. And um, we could envision, and this is where the planning that we had done ahead of time really helped us, um, that impacts to our network access, our Internet access, over a prolonged period of time could dramatically impact our ability to provide care for patients. So um, that was our first and foremost um, uh, area that we focused on and why I think the, the sort of the anxiety level was, was certainly ramped up. Thankfully, that never was the case. We we had zero patient impact. We didn't have to, uh, you know, cancel surgeries or or not have uh, patients seen in outpatient settings. None of that occurred. 
Um, but certainly the possibility was there. And I think subsequently, with all of the ransomware attacks that we've seen in more recent uh, years, um, those kinds of operational impacts are certainly real. So you mentioned that the entire organization was aware of this and, and on, on guard, I guess. Um, does that include the board? How did you interact with the board during this? Absolutely. So um, we let the senior leadership of our board of trustees know what was happening. Um, and I should add that um, that this was, although we had never made any press release or public announcement about this, um, the fact that we were being attacked um, made it to the to the lay press. In fact, it was a front cover story in the Boston Globe um, uh, during the, the the attack towards the tail end of it. And so clearly, all of our board was aware uh, from that point of view about what was going on. But we also beat them internally around uh, what our approaches were in terms of. Uh, our defense approaches and how we've engaged, you know, third parties to assist us in those defenses and what we were doing to mitigate the the possibility of losing internet access and how we would provide care and, and keep the organization running. So they were very much apprised of uh, what was what was happening and what we were doing to uh, to protect ourselves. Now, once it went um, public, did you then take a different um, posture toward dealing with the press? Well, it was very interesting. Um, once the uh, the story hit the front page of the Boston Globe, we thought um, we, we were very concerned because the federal authorities, the FBI, had specifically made a point to us to to not have this get out into the into the media, into the press, because this generally fans the flames for anonymous. This is exactly what they want. They want a lot of attention and uh, and uh, a spotlight shined on their cause. So we were very concerned that things were going to escalate at that point. But in fact, the opposite happened. Um, there was we 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 intercepted some chatter over Twitter from one anonymous group to another. I guess in which uh, it sounded like uh, one of the members was sort of berating all of the others to say, hey, this is a hospital, stop what you're doing. Um, and I, I gather that the folks behind the attack uh, uh, heeded that warning, and uh, sure enough, within 24 hours um, after that Twitter posting, all of the attacks uh, subsided pretty dramatically. So... Um, we were not at that point ready to go public and start talking to the press or the media, um, and certainly not for things like what we're doing today. But as the, the weeks and months ticked by, we realized that what we had just endured was something that was really important that we, um, that we get the word out about so that other organizations could, um, could learn from the, the types of things that, that we uh, learned during our um, ordeal and that they would be better prepared to protect against them themselves in the future. So that's why uh, we have been doing uh, a lot more outreach and um, and talking about this. Uh, I wrote a piece in the New England Journal, which uh, was was widely read and, and covered, and I think that was helpful in terms of uh, getting the word out to academic minded organizations and, and individuals. And now I'm trying to expand even broader and uh, and get the word out to all sorts of other healthcare organizations as well. 
Yeah, that's great. And we appreciate that. Uh, there's a lot of smaller organizations that don't have um, budgets. And uh, I think a lot of uh, what you're telling as part of this story is applicable to them as well and doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money. It's about the attitude and your approach and preparedness. Yeah. I mean, certainly there there does need to be some investment, uh, and I would argue that, that we probably do need, as an industry, more investment um, in this regard. It's, you know, penny-wise, pound-foolish if you don't, because clearly the impact, if you have an attack that's uh, significant, both in terms of uh, HIPAA violations, uh, but even in terms of operational impact, all of those things could be really significant. So. Um, the amount that you need to invest in the IT space is certainly not trivial, but uh, it pales in comparison to what could be if you uh, if you had a, a negative uh, impact from an attack. Absolutely. Could you address a little bit, Dan, um, at what point did you contact law enforcement and what was your interaction like with them? Well, so we let them know about... Um, um, early on, those those initial postings on Twitter and, and Facebook, and I should mention there was a YouTube video as well, which is fairly creepy to watch. Um, um, we let them know about all of those things early on, and, and uh, in fairness to them, they were not particularly impressed simply because they were not breaking any laws, they hadn't obtained any information uh, illegally, and it was just sort of free speech at that point. And so they said, well, thanks for letting us know. Uh, we appreciate uh, the heads up, but uh, there's not much that we can do at this point. Uh, let us know if anything changes. Um, when the DDoS attack uh, began, we recontacted them at that point. And uh, for sure, when we started to see all of the other things that I mentioned as well, the email attacks, the, the port scanning, etc., um, that's when they really became um, much more interested. So the FBI, Homeland Security, all of the all of the uh, local authorities. So we we had their full cooperation and uh, and help at that point. So when you did your post event analysis, what did you learn about your organization? Well, first, um, one thing that's really uh, positive is that the, the organization really rallies um, in times like this. So just like with any other emergency, um, there was no exception in this case. Everyone really pitched in. You know, things like simple communication across the organization. When we had to shut down our email system for a day, well, that's a significant thing when you've got 15,000 individuals in your um, organization and just getting the word out. So we had very um, involved uh, people helping us to literally with sneaker net going around and letting folks know uh, what was happening, what to do, um, if they encountered any unusual sort of network or telephone activity, etc. So just the ability of the organization to come together and to work um, to defend itself and to protect its patients was really incredible and um, and something that I, I'm always impressed with when I see it. On the negative side, though, we obviously needed to have better protection in specific technical areas that we had not considered before. So, for example, um, DDoS protection. Uh, perhaps we were all naive uh, leading up to this time, but I thought as a hospital, and, and on top of that as a children's hospital, no less, that we really probably were not ever going to be the focus of a, of a denial-of-service attack that was meant for, you know, 
big organizations, uh, uh, countries, you know, things like that. Um, but obviously we were wrong. And in fact, um, in the time since our attack, uh, there was another uh, uh, DDoS attack levied at a, at a hospital uh, in Michigan around the Flint water uh, crisis. Uh, why they were attacked, you know, goodness only knows, but um, in fact, these things can happen. And so at that level, I think we needed to learn a lot about um, having the right technical defenses in place and making sure that they were implemented well. Um, the the other point that I'll make is just um, that we needed to have a better understanding of what our network dependencies were, what our Internet dependencies were. Um, should we have lost that internet access for a longer period of time than we did, we would have had challenges with respect to um, clinical care, with respect to uh, operations within the hospital, making sure we had the right supplies ordered, uh, food orders, you know, you name it. All sorts of processes nowadays are dependent on the internet and, and uh, technology for their routine fulfillment. And so having uh, mitigation strategies in those instances and making sure that they're well uh, practiced and understood was absolutely critical for us to uh, to think about. Uh, and it's um, it, we were fortunate in that we had a little bit of, of a lead time um, before the attack actually started in which we were able to review those things and make sure that we had those contingency plans uh, in place. So uh, from a from a wider um, learning perspective, this is something that I'm really pushing when I when I talk about our experiences to remind organizations to have those plans in place um, well in advance so that you're not figuring them out at a, in a time of crisis. And don't assume it can't happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have, before we wrap up, there's one question we usually ask our guests. Is there any other area of security that you think people really need to know more about or pay more attention to that might not be getting the kind of press uh, that it deserves? You know, I've touched on it a little bit, but I'll reiterate it because I really do think it's the most important point about all of this is that um, when we think think about cybersecurity and healthcare. Traditionally, the area that most folks have focused on up until now has been around the protection of the data. And, and clearly, this is still of, of huge importance. I'm not trying to minimize it. But we've focused on the data and, um, and not letting that out of our guard and safeguarding it uh, as one of the highest priorities. But I'd argue that this event for us led us to understand that although the data and its protection is absolutely important, the impact on operational um, areas and on the care that we provide for patients while they're in the hospital or in an ambulatory setting can absolutely also be significantly impacted by some of these attacks. And so considering that that's the reason we exist is to provide care for our patients, I'd, um, I'd argue that in a way these operational uh, impacts and threats that these attacks can have is probably of greater importance than the protection of the data, and that we've probably not focused on it enough uh, up until now. So I think that um, this example, uh, again, the ransomware attacks that have occurred since, those kinds of things are now shining a little bit more of a light on these operational um, and really clinical 
uh, impacts that some of these attacks might have. So I, I urge people to think about those and make sure that they have the right protections in place in those instances as well. Excellent points. Dr. Daniel Nigren is Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Boston Children's Hospital. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Code Red. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rod. Would you have handled the situation faced by Boston Children's the same way? Is your organization prepared? When was the last time you did a risk assessment? Did it include a cyber attack? Basically, do you have a plan? We'd like to thank our guest on this episode, Dan Nigren, Senior Vice President and CIO at Boston Children's Hospital for sharing his experience and lessons learned. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Send your comments and suggestions for future topics and guests to coderead at hymns.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hims members are also invited to join our cybersecurity community. You'll get access to regular presentations by respected professionals in the field, and you'll receive our monthly cybersecurity environmental scans. Code Red is a production of Hims North America. The series is co-produced by Adam Baser. Kelly Lippett is our story editor and guest relations manager. I'm Rod Pihowski. See you next time on Code Red. Intrusion detected. Code Red.